I'm Asam. It's Friday. The microphone is on. The derby is upon us. And Hockin isn't even nervous. Morning, Howard. Uh, morning. I did say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a feeling you're not nervous about this derby. Am I right, Howard? No. <laughs> what? Uh, I've been a lot worse, let's put it that way. There you go. There you go, lad. Come on. It's only Man United. I mean, now I know how they felt in the 90s. It's definitely... I did wake up this morning, and even though it's the derby tomorrow, my first thought was, well, it's only Man United. Do you know what I mean? Like, hmm. do, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll, I, I we'll, admire we'll, your confidence and bravado, I know. But, yeah. That's well, not my, not my style. <laughs> no, well, for me, it's not really about confidence or bravado. It's about the fact that, really, in the greater scheme of things right now, United are pretty bloody irrelevant to everything that City are about. What will it mean for them if they manage to get anything from the derby? I mean, it'll be some sort of moral victory. And what will it mean for City? I mean, we'll move on. Do you know what I mean? We'll still be arguably the best team in the country. Um, will still be in the Champions League. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, they're they're an irrelevance, mate. They're an absolute irrelevance. But before we get to how irrelevant they are, I didn't get to do the Burnley review, so we're going to have a little chat about the Burnley game from Tuesday. Is that okay with you? Yeah, of course. Excellent. Um, Firstly, your very brief thoughts. Now, I've listened to the review that you did. Uh, you had Steve on it. Uh, so, actually, we've got a lot of what Steve thought. I'm just interested, like, in a nutshell, uh, how different was the performance from maybe some of the uh, earlier in the season performances? And where was the difference on the pitch for you? Yeah, I'm afraid I'm pretty much going to nick what Steve said. Uh, first of all, he, you know, he made a point that just uh, stuck with me. It's, I think something changed after the Newcastle match. So I don't know if it was just the, the pressure's off in a way, having fallen 11 points behind, or a realisation that they can't let the season just drift like this. So the difference was just it was the City of Old that I had not seen for a few weeks, and minimum three a few weeks. Uh, the intensity just seemed on a different level to the weekend. Uh, I'm sure it's not just about the players going on and trying a bit harder. So I assume the lineup worked a bit better as well, not protecting Rodri, but just getting the old star midfield back. The passing was crisper. I don't it just in every single way it was just crisper. And you know what they started doing? They started scoring brilliant goals again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many times I mean it's not as if City have stopped creating chances. They've never even at Newcastle we should have scored four or five goals. Mm. And they missed very easy chances, easy chances and half chances. Whereas this time we're pinging them into the top corner while still missing a couple of easy chances. So but the build up play was better, the just shape of the team. But for me what stood out immediately was you know, after three minutes of the match was the intensity was just on a different level. And I doubt it was something Steve said that something clicked. I mean, you saw them singing Wonderwall before the match. It was always like, <laughs> yeah, when the lights were off in the dressing room and they seemed to have got the fun back into the game or the pressure mm. was off. Maybe psychologically they're telling themselves that the title race is over so that they can just enjoy their football and see where it takes them. And maybe that's what will help them. And hopefully 
in a Manchester derby, they can still get their minds in that, you know, get that mindset and play the football that they're so used to doing over the last two years. Mm. I, I mean, I guess that, you know, I, I'm not a big... Uh, I don't think that there's been some big epiphany. I don't think that, you know, they've all woke up after Newcastle and gone, oh, the pressure's off, we can play with freedom now or anything like that. Um, I think we forget sometimes that that footballers are human. I'm not trying to make excuses for um, a lack of intensity against Newcastle, but I think, you know, in football, these things happen. I think you can be, particularly after the the consistent amount of time that we played at a consistently high level for the drop for whatever reason. I'm not going to say it was expected. I didn't expect it. But once we were kind of in the middle of seeing it, it felt a little bit like, yeah, maybe these players just can't go to the well three years on the bounce. And it kind of goes back to that idea of, you know, maybe we should have refreshed the squad so that Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne, Sergio Aguero aren't the most important players in the squad in an attacking sense. And I know that that sounds like a, an absurd thing to say, but it's just about, you know, how do you up the level when the level is so high? Now, obviously that didn't happen. I think what we saw at Burnley, I think you're right and Steve's right in that we saw uh, a shape that they know. Um, but I think we also saw a performance that they know and I think that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna point at individuals because I don't think that it's important. But I think that collectively there were four or five players who showed that they are still capable of playing at the level that they played at a year ago. And yeah. I was beginning to worry that there were players within that squad who maybe couldn't go there again. You understand what I mean? Who'd yeah. kind of done it for two years. And whether it be for age, whether it be for physical fatigue, mental fatigue, for whatever reason, that those players couldn't go to that level again. And I think against Burnley, what really, really, really I loved was that it was it was the city of the game against Liverpool at the Etihad last season because it was quality, but it was aggression. It was a side that turned up at Burnley and went, you know what? We're not going to let you, uh, we're not going to let you bully us. We won't be bullied. Um, and I think that that's something that, I'm not saying that we have been bullied, but I think at times we we find it so easy that we can be a little bit passive in games that we control. And I think that going and having having that in your head that it's Burnley, it's going to be a fight, it's going to be a battle, they're going to go in studs up. I mean, some of the tackles, some of the tackles that flew in were just disgraceful from from the Burnley side still. But we dealt with them. Do you know what I mean? We yeah. we kind of we 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 stood up to it and then flip the quality. Just in the final third, began with Jesus's finish. I mean, you know, I just, I'll be very, very, very blunt. I didn't think he had that finish in him right now. Yeah. And uh, when it went in, it was just like, whoa, okay. And I think like Sam alluded to, it's that idea of once he gets one, maybe it'll get loads and, the, and his level will go up. I felt that his performance after that goal immediately went up a level. Um, what do you, what do you make of? Do you think that me and Sam a little bit are overplaying this idea that 
because he's got that goal, he can really kick on now? Or did you see something in Jesus's performance that felt like post that goal, the shackles had come off? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did see a change in his whole, you know, the shoulders, you know, he just felt the puffed out chest in a way because, you know, you think of that offside given before the first goal, there was just no conviction for him to go, you know, to be deadly in front of goal to, you know, he just, he ran too wide, he was quite slow, he should have head towards central and, you know, there was just something lacking in his confidence to score that, you know, the flag had gone up and probably shouldn't have done and he didn't know that. And then he scores that goal and he wants to shoot. You know, I always said Jesus does not shoot enough. Uh, but when he's going for his hat-trick, he's only thinking about putting it in that far post. He's not thinking about squaring it. So his, the, the key is, you know, he took it, it transformed in, in that game. He, man, he now must take it on into the following games. But it was very timely for him to get those two goals. And a reminded to us that, you know, when he was... You know, the criticism was really beginning to mount on him because I don't know there are different amounts either eight or ten games without a goal well that's that is pretty damning for a forward player but he's not in the team 90 minutes every week so you know he's on he's off he's on he's off he'll get a run in the side now so it's very very good timing for him to put in a performance like that and I hope he just yeah he now believes having got those goals that that he can score back four more mm, I mean I, I- I think that we've, I've been very critical of Jesus uh, at times. And I think that for me, a lot of that criticism did, it did feel like it came from a place where the standard is Aguero. The standard is that's the guy who you've got to replace, who's leaving in a year or two. Um, I think sometimes the one thing that we maybe lose sight of a little bit is that a player won't come into their own until they're given that responsibility, if that makes sense. That, you know, as long as you are Aguero's deputy, you'll play like Aguero's deputy. And the day that you replace him and you become the main man, you'll play like the main man. Um, Now, I think there's obviously an element of, I don't want to say wishful thinking, but you need the planets to align for that to happen. Um, But I am trying more and more as this season unfolds, and particularly after the goal, um, and the performance against Burnley to go. All right, I am maybe Jesus can between now and the end of the season convince all of us that he absolutely is going to be the guy who replaces Aguero. Obviously, that would be ideal. Obviously, not having to go out and buy another number nine would be amazing and absolutely ideal. But Gabby's just got to keep going for the moment. Um. No, he's got. No, we're going to replace Aguero. I mean, we'll need another striker, and he doesn't have to be his heir apparent. He just has to be. He's a different type of player. He just has to perform better. Is it? You know, he has to be uh, more key to this side in a way. Of course, if you know, if we go out and buy the summer in summer two thousand twenty one, some big name striker, then Jesus will feel he's in the same position. But we can't just operate with him as a striker, so. There is going to be an incoming striker, so it's how he deals with that. Uh, he's, you know, his game's different. Mm. He's not, you know, he's never, he's never going to be the dead-eyed, yeah, you know, the ruthless killer in front of goal type striker who just 
gets 35 goals a season. I just don't see him in that respect. And that's been part of the problem, that we don't truly know where to place him on the pitch some of the time. Maybe mm-hmm. he will develop in that way. Maybe he'll just start adding goals to his game. But, you know, they're not that similar players, are they? So uh, I, can't, I find it unbelievable that, you know, once Aguero does leave, we won't bring in a quite expensive striker to replace him. Well, I guess that that's sort of the thing that it, for me, the dream was always that you don't need to bring an expensive striker in when Aguero goes because Gabriel Jesus is that expensive striker. Um, I think that that's maybe the angle that I'm leaning towards. That's what... That's the ideal world that I imagine Pep and everybody at the club is aiming towards. They're aiming towards a situation where come, not next summer, because I think Aguero will stay another year, but summer after, the summer of 2021, Gabriel Jesus has put himself in a position where the club feel they can go out and buy just another, a n other young forward like Jesus, because Jesus is ready to step into Aguero's uh, yeah. very big boots. Um, looking at the rest of the performances in the Burnley game, who or what caught your eye on an individual level? Well, the obvious one. Uh, obviously, Rodri was just top class. Uh, one of the most complete performances by a City player this season or you know, any season, really. And again, it was stepping up at the right time. Uh, come back off an injury. I imagine a lot you know, players that come from Spain. I mean, quite a few English players as well are just not used to the schedule of an English season. And we're not really right into the, the real uh, tricky bit of it yet. They're soon going to learn the hard way just how brutal it can be. Uh, but coming back of an injury, he was a bit off form for a couple of weeks, but he wasn't helped by a system that was not working for most of the players. So to pick him out would have been ridiculous. Uh and just allowed him to do his job and picked a normal midfield and we saw the difference maybe Burnley were compliant and passive and helped but that was just the ultimate performance of them to absolutely well he went in like he did just you know that was the icing on the, the top of the cake for me it was just uh, an all round perfect performance where you look at his heat map as well he was just mopping everything up all over the pitch he was stringing he was a link between defence and midfield as well so I'm sure he put the pass you know, a couple of moves before the first goal as well. Uh, and he linked, yeah, defence midfield, he covered, he protected the defence, he scored a brilliant goal. Not much more you can ask for than that, to be honest, in a 90-minute performance. Uh, that was a huge difference to the outcome of the match and shows that he's perfectly capable of doing that well. Um, he's, he's obviously come in for quite some criticism and... Obviously, we facetiously called the uh, the review pod "Big Habi Garcia vibes." Yes, you did. Were you get Were you getting Were you getting Big Habi Garcia vibes? That's the first question, no. and and secondly, <laughs> good lad. And then the second question is, um, where is the line between? I've seen a lot of. There was a big discussion on Twitter this week, and I've seen a lot of conversations around Fernandinho being moved back into defensive midfield. Now, I'm just going to say very bluntly that I am. I just think that's a little bit of a nonsense. I think the people calling for that 
are they don't really understand no maybe I should be careful how I say this like I think that's a regressive and backwards step I don't think that you spend what we spent on Rodri to buy Spain's heir to Sergio Busquets to then throw Fernandinho into the DM spot stick Rodri on the bench and then say to Rodri watch and learn he's a completely different player to Fernandinho he's got completely different characteristics there's almost nothing that Rodri can learn from Fernandinho's game. He's got to, he's got to figure out his own way in in that he's got to make his own way in that position. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, uh, so I mean, there was never an issue with how good a player is Rodri. Anyone who says he's not a good player is just go and follow another sport. The only problem, the only issue, if there is one, is fitting into the system. Mm. And that may take a year because it took Fernandinho a year, which people seem to forget. Yeah, uh, it's just about it's not changing what he is as a player. It's just learning with Pep when to go forward, when to go back. It's just playing with these players. Every ninety minutes, you learn a bit more. You learn mm. when they move, when they don't. The little nuances, the foibles, where the gaps appear. All you can do is just spend time on the pitch. Now, if he's not going to be given time to learn on the pitch then it might as well not sign players you know if we just if we just need them to come in and be brilliant then you know and in a way we do because you can't drop points anymore that's the problem there's just no time for for players to learn on the pitch but it's never been an issue oh well, I'm not sure he's that good a player he's obviously a, a world-class player well, mm. I don't know what world-class means it could be one or two but he's clearly a top level top tier player he could still be a failure at City because of systems and the role requirements, but I've never had more than tiny doubts that that was the case anyway. Yeah, I, I, I mean, just think... Sorry, if it was in a year, you know, in a year we're still seeing little issues, then that's obviously a much bigger problem. It's mm. not an issue three months after he turns up at the club. Absolutely. I, I think that we have in our modern, modern history... The examples of both Yaya Torre and David Silva, who were both within three months of being signed for City, written off by many, many, many people as being a waste of money. Um, and again, you know, I can. I think that one of the reasons Rodri's been really hard done by is because he's stepped into a side that maybe isn't playing at its best at times. You understand what I mean? Again, it's like, yeah, yeah we have a very disrupted defence, which isn't defending very well. We've had a little bit of a misfiring attack, in my opinion, which either isn't creating, or when it's creating, it's not taking its own chances. And I think that when your defence isn't functioning and your attack isn't functioning, a lot more pressure will come to bear on the midfield. I also think, um, again, without picking out individuals, that in general, the midfield, the collective around the midfield, including the attack have not been good enough going back towards their own goal. So we've been a lot more exposed. But for me, the big difference at Burnley, and it's interesting that people talk about, ah, well, we've gone back to the 4-3-3 with Rodri just holding by himself. But if Rodri's just holding by himself, why did we look less open against Burnley than we have done in recent weeks? It's very simple, because everything in front of Rodri works a hell of a lot harder to make sure that the back five or six weren't exposed and I think that there's a a little bit of where we begin to pull at individuals when things go wrong. I think in, in Guardiola teams, more often than not, 
if you look at the system, if the system functions, everything will function. And if the system isn't quite yeah. functioning, you'll see it's glaring. You understand what I mean? That that idea of, oh, we look so open on the counter-attack. I think that's a, it's a system thing. If the, the players aren't positionally correct, if they're not doing the running they're meant to do, if they're not covering ground going back towards their own goal in the way that they're meant to do, if they're not compact enough... That all of that stuff leads to the some of the issues that we've had, and yet for me there has been this clamour of binariness where it's like, well, if you move Fernandinho back to defensive midfield, everything's going to be fine. I just don't think that's uh, that's going to be the case. Um, Andy may not be up to the job. I mean, no, he shows no signs of his age, but the DM role is the most demanding of all, and clearly. I mean, it's quite clear from Pep that he feels that at his age, central defence is better for him than defensive midfield and has no plans to move him back into midfield. Mm. Uh, I think he could easily, you know, I'd be surprised if he just fell apart if he went back into defensive midfield. He could certainly and must surely be able to do it for many of the games we have where we dominate the game. Uh, but we still don't know what his body is capable of you know, in the high intensity game, so I guess Pep knows better. He knows the figures, stats. Uh, Fernandinho could be a fitness freak who is has not dropped his levels when he's thirty-seven, but we just don't know. We can't assume that he can go into DM and just perform like he was last season or the season before. I just don't think you can. I think when you've got a plan, you've got a plan, and the plan was to replace Fernandinho with Rodri. So that's the plan. So you know. I just don't see that that conversation about Fernand, Fernandinho in defensive midfield, it just needs to go in the bin for me. I think Guardiola made it perfectly clear in his last press conference, Fernandinho won't play in defensive midfield because I like him in the position that I'm playing him in and I like Gundogan and Rodri as the, uh, as the holding midfielders. So it just feels like a moot conversation for me now. Um, anything else from, from Burnley before we... Uh, Cast our mind forward to uh, the small matter of the Manchester derby. Uh, no, let's move on. I thought today just, it was much needed uh, for individuals. Pep, the team, just look at his face at the end. So, yeah. Just look at his face. Yeah, he looked, so, yeah, he looked happy. Yeah. yeah. And Key needed that a lot as well. He needed a sign that things aren't as bad as some are saying. Absolutely. I mean, I just, I, I think that... Uh, for everybody involved with the football club, from the supporters to the coaches to the players themselves, you can see how much it meant at the full-time whistle at Burnley. And I think that Burnley a little bit is going to the dentist and it's not the easiest place to go. And you need big performances. And Gabriel, there was no bigger performance than Gabriel Jesus's performance or Rodri's performance. And they're both guys who've been so heavily criticised that it just, you see, it just brings everything together, doesn't it? It's just like, it's like total 360 degree vindication. It's like literally in the afternoon, we're having conversations around, you know, me basically going, well, I knew when Aguero got injured that we were done and other people going, I'm getting big Abby Garcia vibes from Rodri. And you're just kind of going into the game with this, malaise of what's going to happen and then the most maligned guys show up and go yeah we're good enough to play in this team it's uh it's a very nice feeling yeah okay so um the derby Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so they beat uh they beat Spurs in midweek uh did you watch that game no I was trapped 
trapped in the Christmas market. Oh, that's right. That was your razor light night, wasn't oh, it? Shush. <laughs> um, listen, uh, my question is this, right? So I watched that game and two things jumped out to me. Spurs were really poor, but Man United were really good, right? And when I say Man United were really good, Man United were really good at doing the things that that collection of players can do really good, right? So I felt that they were really dangerous on the break. They were really fast and they were really direct and they were really aggressive. Um, Rashford had one of those games where he looked unplayable at times. Um, I've read this morning that in the uh, immediate run-up to that game, the squad went to the hierarchy and said, don't sack Solskjaer. And the performance looked like a performance of a collection of players who don't want their manager to be sacked or, alternatively, who hate the manager in the opposing dugout so much that there's absolutely no way that they're going to lose that game. Either way, United were great. So, how's the nerves now? Well, you tell me. You're the bullshit one. Has that that put doubt into your mind? Here's what I think. I think that it's a derby and I don't think that it will be easy. I don't think that they will uh, give anything up easily. Uh, I think it's interesting that both City and United put in really high-level midweek performances. Maybe a little bit of confidence boosters for both of them based on the form that they were on. Um, It's hard for me to... Man United are far too inconsistent, both collectively and individually, for me to have any clue, really, about what side will turn up tomorrow. What I did say to somebody yesterday is that I bet that privately Guardiola's glad that they won midweek because I think it will make his preparation and his team talks a lot easier. Because I imagine that if they get turned over by United, uh, by Spurs, that our lot, maybe there's a tiny, tiny bit of complacency at the fact that, yeah, this United team are just nothing. But the fact that they beat Spurs, the fact that their record against the top six is actually pretty good, I think it gives Guardiola the uh, enough ammunition to uh, to make sure that everybody's minds are absolutely focused. Now, my question, first question really, look beginning to look at the game itself is how do you expect United to approach it in the sense that I thought that United were quite aggressive against Spurs. Obviously, they were at home. Um, I've seen them be quite passive away from home. I think they've had massive problems away from home. Their biggest problem has been the fact that, for me, they've been too passive. But that almost feels like it can't carry on. So what do you expect from United in that sense? Do you think that they'll... The, the fact that it's the derby, the fact that they, you know, Gary Neville said he expected three points from six out of these two games. And now that they've got the three against Spurs, it's almost a free hit, the, the derby. So how do you approach the free hit game? Are you more compact or do you try and be as aggressive as City? Yeah, I mean, if you want to be confident, then you look, yeah, United's away form is just dismal. And they're just so passive and lethargic and... It kind of says, well, you know, winning at home against Spurs, does that really matter? You know, they beat Leicester earlier in the season, but then they'd go away and put in some pitiful performance away from home. Uh, but as it's a derby, then I, 
I'm not sure how much we can go off the stats of previous away performances, you said. My, my concern as a City fan is, you know, I would look at this and say we'll dominate possession. But that's possibly, probably what United, what Solskjaer wants. That's their threat, is pace on the counter-attack. That is where they can win the game. No other way, in a way. So I don't expect them to be offensive. Both teams should be aggressive, you know, be an intensity, but I don't think they will look to dominate the ball. I think they'll just look to soak up pressure and hit us on the counter-attack. So does that... That's the danger for City. Mm. How do you... So how do you approach that? I mean, how do you... How do you control Man United to counter-attacks? I don't think they've got... I don't think they've got a ton of players who can hurt us. I think Martial will be injured. I expect it'll be a similar team to midweek, so you'll maybe see Rashford and Greenwood. How do we control those counter-attacks? Yeah, I think what may happen is, and it's a shame because it's the reverse of Burnley, is our full-backs may be a bit more cautious. Or if Rashford's on the left, then Walker, you know, if it's say our right-back will be a bit more cautious. So we may be a bit more attacking down the other side. Mm. Uh, I think they'll be very wary of Rashford above everything else. I don't think United are very quick on the transitions. You know, there is pace in there. But if you've got... I mean, you know, the team on paper is just like, well, just play your own game. Uh, So I think... I think they will be wary of Rashford. Rashford's a danger man. Otherwise, they will just look to... I just hope that we get a, a very... Disciplined performance from the fullbacks because the overlapping fullbacks are what made that Burnley game what it was, and you know, it's been sadly lacking in so many games. And then that will stretch United to the limits if we got our fullbacks attacking. But of course, the further forward our fullbacks spend their time, then the more open we are to the counter attack. So well, that's... you have to you have to balance the two mm. uh, in midfield. I'm sure would we'll dominate the ball considerably. And I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time around their penalty area. No doubt about that. Mm. It's, it's whether it's whether they want to pack that penalty area or is Solskjaer's even capable of doing that. But I feel he may do that. He may try and that has to be their best outlet is to just pack that area and then spring on the counter-attack when they regain possession. So I think our full-backs may be crucial in that. I just hope he doesn't double pivot with Rodri again to try and, you know try some new system. We've got to believe in our, our team that will create more chances than them. Hmm. Um, would you play with a little bit of a handbrake on the fullbacks just to control those counter-attacks? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, basically, yeah, you can do both. It just requires an enormous amount of energy from your fullbacks. I think early doors, they will be quite cautious, yeah. Hmm. But, of course, it's part of the midfield as well. It's not just that. It's whoever's... Whoever's in front of the right, you know, the fullbacks, to do put in a shift and be aware of their defensive responsibilities. So it's not just down to the fullbacks; it's down to the entire midfield section and the wide players being prepared to come back and shut us back and go forward. And yeah, yeah, it's going to be hard work. I mean, we're not playing the greatest team in Europe, but you know, if you were, we know what their threat is, pretty, you know, it stares you in the face in a way. So you deal with that, and we stand, uh, you know, absolutely ninety percent plus chance of winning. Well, what's your thoughts on that? Do you think the we should just play our natural game? Mm, I think 
I think that they'll be a lot more considered than... I'm not saying that the that the midweek game changes completely the way you approach from United's performance shouldn't change completely the way that City approach the game tomorrow, but I'm absolutely convinced that it will have some bearing on how we approach the game tomorrow yeah. because I think United were much better than I expected them to be. And I think that the the wariness will be, well look that's Jose Mourinho going with a with a Spurs squad that on paper and a Spurs team that on paper is much better than United with a new manager bounce. It goes to Old Trafford and it's soundly beaten. I mean, if Rashford scores that trick in the first half, it's no surprise because he tears them apart single-handedly at times. And I think that that will definitely give everybody at City pause for thought because I don't think that you can... You don't want to put yourself in a position where you go so handbrake off that you're prepared to leave Rashford 1v1 against Fernandinho or against John Stones. I think that you need to be a bit more considered about how you how you approach the 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 defensive side of your of your attack basically because that's what we're talking about really we're talking about the the transition and how we deal with that when we're attacking and I think that's when we're at our most vulnerable it goes without saying um, and Rashford does worry me so yeah I mean I, I think that there will be I don't know whether you know you said I don't want Pep to do anything weird I can see Pep absolutely doing something a little bit. Uh, Different to deal with Rashford because you know he's that Pep is that kind of guy. Like you've seen, that, that's the one thing maybe that I take away from all or nothing in the meta sense is that he's so Pep's so obsessive that when he gets something in his head, it's just in his head, and there's nothing you can really do about it. You have to accept it that he's going to obsess about that thing. And I, I don't wonder. I'm certain that it, they will have seen the highlights of Rashford's performance and gone. And Pep will now be going, okay, we need to deal with this. We need to absolutely make sure that we've got a plan to deal with Marcus Rashford on the counter-attack. And how how and what that will be, we'll have to wait until Saturday to uh, to see. I imagine, if I'm honest, that maybe, and it's not really even a left-field thing, but maybe the thing that I can see is that Bernardo and Cancelo play, right? And that they're both actually more disciplined than uh, than the left-hand side. I wonder whether maybe we let we let everything attacking-wise go down the left and we keep the right side. We basically pick two attacking players, but then keep them quite disciplined um, to kind of give you a little bit more... Uh, strength and, and solidity, and maybe have them be a little bit closer to the uh, to the two centre halves, or maybe he does that on the left hand side. I don't know. I don't know how fit Zinchenko is. I, I don't know who to pick at left back. Is the honest answer. Um, I, I can't. I can't see him changing the left back situation. I think Zinchenko lack of match fitness. Yeah, not, not the time to throw him in. And Angelino had his best game, so. So you'd continue he's with... going to fiddle around with that. I mean, he could put Mendy in, but I don't think. Well, here's my question: but is there a strong argument that, for just because of the performance and because he changes so much so often, 
it's a strong argument that it really does not change this team. You know, he makes at least 10 of the 11 the same as it was against Burnley. I wouldn't play Angelino. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't play Angelino. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, I'm okay with uh, with with a lot of that team. Stones versus Otamendi. What's your vibe? I mean, I'd pick Stones. I'd keep faith with the team from Tuesday, but it's not a lot to choose. I don't know. I think Otamendi did well, but we know he's Otamendi, so we, I would, I'm not <laughs> we playing. Don't Otamendi. know what we're going to get, but we don't with Stones either. So yeah. no, I disagree with that. I'm dealing I think... with it's a less physical game, so Otamendi yeah, I... was an, an obvious choice for Burnley in a way, an obvious choice. So he probably relishes a game like that. Um, mm. But yeah, Stones is much more likely to come in for this one. I would say. Yeah, I just I don't think that I don't think you can run. The, I mean, look, we're going to play with a real. We're going to defend on the halfway line. That's how we play at home with all that space in behind Rashford on the break. I'm not having Otamendi being put in a position where somebody's running at him and he goes to ground. He's not playing. Yeah. He's not playing against United. It's not happening. Um, so for me, it'll be Stones and 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 Fernandinho. Uh, I'm kind of as as I talk about this, I'm actually beginning to talk myself into the idea maybe he won't play with the handbrake maybe he'll look at it and he'll go well these can't defend because I don't think United can defend I think if you put their defence under pressure they'll concede tons of goals and I wonder whether they do analyse the Spurs game and they go well every time Spurs put them under pressure they look like they were going to creak and concede tons of goals so maybe that's the answer yeah at the, earlier in the season they were defending quite well it was the one thing they were doing well Mm. Uh, but they've obviously been absolutely well they've been leaking goals left right and centre and I don't know who do you remember who was in the lineup? was it Lindelof again with Maguire yeah but they've got you know I mean they've got some like you know Bissaka Juan Bissaka won't go forward himself but, you know Fred and McTominay McTominay's been great for United but let's not assume we're up against one of the world's greats here that and Fred no more needs to be said you know, it's just some of that team is mid table. Yeah. Well, they, they have been mid table until this week. Uh, so, yeah, you can see the argument for, like, no, it doesn't matter if it's a derby. It don't. We deal with Rashford, otherwise, we, we go full throttle at them. Mm, okay. Well, look, um, it's very difficult to really do a deep dive preview of a game like this. So, what I want to know from you before we move on. Uh, and look to quickly wrap this up uh, is what team do you feel would be the right team so not what you think Guardiola will pick the team that you if you were manager hocking the team you'd pick uh, exactly the same as Burnley but yeah as you said Stones in for Otamendi so that's the only change that you make yeah give Rodri the freedom I don't want him being protected Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's about you know. I know the the Rashford. It's, it's, it, it, you've got to our attacking wide players have to ha- take on the responsibility of of doing some defending. It's as simple as that. So whoever's on the right has to do that. So and Bernardo obviously puts in the the hard yards. You know he does cover huge distances, so he has to understand his responsibilities in protecting. Our right back, but yeah, I'd be fine with I'd be fine with that team. I think. Yeah, I think that I I would go along with that. I mean, personally, um, 
I'm picking Cancelo. I've got a feeling that Walker plays two, two on the bounce, so I think that Cancelo may well just end up getting the nod, although I could be massively wrong. It could, wouldn't surprise me if it's Walker, to be honest, but I suspect it'll be uh, it'll be Cancelo and uh, and Bernardo on the right-hand side. I don't think Angelino will play. You know, I do think it'll be Mendy. I think it'll be Mendy Stones and Fernandinho. And then, yeah, the midfield. Do you pick David Silva or do you pick Gundogan along with... Uh, Along with uh, Rodri and KDB, I mean David Silva. I don't. I don't know. David Silva is such a hard one to decide. You know, he's brilliant again against Burnley, but in a tougher game like this, we may see him on the periphery. And yeah, we need energy. Mm. He took a lot. He took a lot of kicks against Burnley. That's my big worry. I think mm. two or three times they went through his ankle, and I just wonder how well he's recovered. Yeah. That's the one area. I mean, yeah, obviously people will be screaming now. Phil Foden. Phil well, I was just about to say that. Like, Well, we could keep saying it, but irrelevant of what we want, do you realistically see him pick? I mean, it's the sort of thing Pep would do. Yes, I was just but about then, to say that then, I Atlanta, think... Yeah, Atlanta, or the last Champions League game, I thought, he's starting this game, and he doesn't, does he? So, mm. who knows? Oh, you know, it's just, it's an impossible call to make, but he would pop, he would suit this game. Definitely. I would be more comfortable with David Silva for an hour knowing that Foden is coming on after the hour or Foden starting and David Silva getting the last half hour. Yeah. I don't think that I want to see Gundogan, Rodri and KDB. I think that in and of itself will somehow imply some type of double pivot that will just do my head in. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, no, I'm not really. Uh, I'm not really feeling that one. Is uh, we're there? Just, we're just putting a blog on today from Dan Larson about Gundogan's stats that may surprise a few people. Excellent. But either way, the answer is not to put him <laughs> okay. into the midfield for this game. I don't think. No. So uh, another question: Is there any argument for starting Mares over Bernardo? There's an argument. I mean, yo, lad, finish with his right foot, edge of the area, bang, bottom corner. I mean, you know, I, I still saw, you know, it's on a WhatsApp, and people still criticising Bernardo after Tuesday's game, mm. uh, and he's still not back to his best. But then, you know, that that cost for the second goal is sumptuous. Someone said he got two assists, but I can't remember if he did or not. There's there's not much to shoot. You know, the different players, of course, but neat. Yeah, in attacking sense, I think Mahrez may offer more. But I still have faith that Bernardo is just... And Bernardo, of course, will put the harder yards in. So if he's playing wide, is Mahrez going to help out down that flank, going back? Probably not, no. For that reason, I'd probably prefer Bernardo Silva. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've kind of taught myself into preferring Mares over Bernardo, and let me tell you for why. Because I think that, in a way, I don't think Bernardo's form has been good enough. Just very bluntly, um, it's not really. I think if you were if you were going on form, uh, I mean, it's his cross for so he gets an assist in, against Burnley. But really, I'm looking for a more direct threat on both wings against United. I want to make sure that we are, that those two players, that Sterling and Mares, are basically facing United's fullbacks, who are both, in my opinion, 
they can both be got at. I think that Wan Bissaka is somebody who defensively is very good in certain actions, but can absolutely be got at. Um, and I think on the other side, whether they play whether they play Shaw or they play uh, uh, Brandon Williams, I think it is. I expect I just think that with a direct running threat as fullbacks you'll get more out of them I wonder whether maybe Bernardo the more considered choice may not be exploiting a weakness in the United side quite enough that's just my kind of layman's view as we talk through this that's kind of where I've ended up now I'm like actually no I think Mares, Sterling Jesus KDB David Silva Rodri Cancelo, Fernandinho, Stones, Mendy, Edison. That's my team. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of fine lines in the lineup, you know. Definitely. I, I find it hard to decide whether David Silva should play. I find it hard to decide Mares against Bernardo Silva. I find it hard Stones or to Mendy. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I understand. Don't completely. do something left field and have a. <laughs> <laughs> have seven left footed players playing. <laughs> Funny, yeah, it's possible. Nah, it's not gonna happen. All right, cool. Right, Howard, are we gonna beat? We gonna slap the rags and win the derby? Yeah, excellent, excellent. Hey, you, you're very close to these uh, noisy neighbours, lads. Is, is it true the noisy neighbours are flying in for the derby? Oh, one of them is. Look at that! Look at that! Oh, I Shall don't know. Is it both of them? I don't know. You I know, you were closer. Nah, mate. No, you. you I don't, don't. Don't now, now, Howard. Don't sell porky pies, okay? I've, no, heard, I've heard one of the two is flying in specially for this. Splendid. And that and the last time we did, we lost 1-0 to a Rashford girl, so... What? Okay. Yeah. Well, obviously, you don't believe in omens, so... <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't. Well, uh, if you catch up with them over the weekend, definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely get, get, buy them a beer from me, lad. Why not? Why not? Um, right. Listen, very briefly, the other game that I want to ask you about is West Ham Arsenal on Monday night. Um, I guess Arsenal lost last night 2-1 to Brighton. They were... Mm, not very good is probably the polite way to put it and they lost that game at home um, are you surprised that they've not got a new manager bounce from Freddie Youngberg that's the first question <laughs> uh, well I've no idea if Freddie Youngberg can organise a team so but yeah I did expect something uh, as soon as you know as soon as Emery went and it did seem to be such a shambles that you expect that little kick uh, what was there did he draw his first game? And was that away to Sheffield United or was it at home? Do you remember? Not sure, you know. Because, yeah, if it's away, and I know maybe Arsenal should be... Sheffield United have been good, obviously. Uh, but uh, where Arsenal aspire to be, they probably still expect to win that game. Uh, but I was flicking the game. I was watching a bit of the other game last night. Yeah, because obviously two games that were staggered a bit, so you can see bits of each. Uh, so I missed the end of the first half. They asked so much, and apparently they're complete shambles. Uh, they got it back to one all, and I thought, oh, that, yeah, if I was a betting man, and I am, I couldn't afford to just put a bet on. They're going to win this now easily. And then they just tapered away again. They were just no different, really. Just so many issues within that side. So, so many gaps. Yeah, nothing had really changed in a way. Uh, so yeah I am a bit surprised I thought there'd be a little boost but it's almost as if maybe Emery's not the only problem there uh, he was just one of many problems mm. there's just so many issues at that club I mean there are good players there but yeah they've 
they themselves have still spent they've not had the budget of City obviously or United but they're still packed with you know I mean even you know, got Shaka and Mustafi and these are thirty million pound players and they got Aubameyang Pepe seventy million sixty million Lacazette fifty five million you know it's not a team that's been strung together with a, a few pennies it's and you know they continue to play like someone like David Luiz who's gotten the cheap but is just a disaster for them. Mm. Uh, Defence has never improved over about five years. The stats aren't that bad. They don't, you know, but they're just yeah they are. They were pretty shambolic at times. You know, Brighton are a hard one. They've got a very progressive manager, but they've not really set the world alight. Let me ask you a question. But they seem to have been getting their form together the last three games, so it's it's hard to tell. Are we playing a very good Brighton side here, or just the same old one under Chris Hutton? I think they're definitely better than last season's side. But Arsenal, once they got that to one all, should be uh, yeah. The Arsenal of old would have really put that game to bed quite easily. Swap the managers last night. Do Arsenal win that game? Yeah, because they'd be better. For, better I think they do. I think they do. I I, I think that what Arsenal looked like last night, I saw quite a bit of that game as well, um, uh, they look like a team that are undercoached and underprepared. And there wasn't really a plan. And they've obviously got some very good players. And I, I think that that's kind of the most damning indictment of bigger clubs is when you end up in the position that Arsenal are in, or United have been in the last few weeks, where you watch them against lower opposition and you go, wow, you've not got a plan and you don't know what you're going to do and you don't have any like, I, any footballing identity. It's just 11 guys who do certain things, doing them individually in the hope that it all comes, uh, comes together. Now, just... There's obviously a lot of talk about Arteta going to Arsenal. Forget about the City point of view. If you're an Arsenal fan, are you happy with the idea of uh, Pep's assistant coming and taking over? Uh, yeah, I'd be prepared to give that a go, yeah. Because he's bringing his ideas in a way. Okay. And he's bringing... Uh, I think... I think you're at the point now that you know, Wenger was, went stale for a while. Emery, a thankless task in a way, but in a way, the pressure was off him as well because... People should realise that you know after such a long, you know, like the post-Ferguson years, there's going to be it's going to be a rocky road. So he was allowed into his second season before people said no, it's not working. I think if you're an Arsenal fan now, where it's just like, you know, just every step they take, it's just been six, seven years now of this. You know, it's not good enough. We should be better than this. I think it's time to try a different approach. Okay, well, look, if you're just getting another European manager. And it may be better. It may be, you know. But I think I'd be quite open as an Arsenal fan to Arteta because, and to you know, as long as you begin to give him into his second season, for because he will have a philosophy and a style of play, and it will be a, a fresh change, I think, for the club. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess that my disagree. A little bit, yeah. I th- my my feeling a little bit on the Arteta thing, and I don't want to come off all you know Brexit or Sam Allardyce. Uh, is just that, you know, for better or for worse, Eddie Howe has proved more, yeah? For better or for worse, Graham Potter has proved more. I think that if I were in Arsenal's, if I was an Arsenal supporter, I'd be going, I don't want to be the guinea pig for Mikel Arteta because Mikel Arteta's never coached 
a team himself and that type of monumental risk and that's exactly what it is it's a not a small risk it's a monumental risk to bring in a guy who's never managed a first team before into a dressing room in crisis a team in crisis and expect him to clean that up whether it's Everton or it's Arsenal if I was a supporter I wouldn't want Mikel Arteta being appointed as the manager now Mikel might get one of those jobs and prove me completely wrong and at the end of the season everybody can go well shows what you know but for the moment I'm kind of looking at what Eddie Howe's done and what Graham Potter's done in particular and then even let's widen that you look across Europe there are plenty of coaches across Europe who are doing very very good things and overachieving right um to Ignore all of those guys and then to go and pick Pep Guardiola's assistant because he's highly rated and he's Pep Guardiola's assistant just feels a little bit too easy, lazy, uh, yeah, just a lack of any real genuine forethought beyond, oh, he used to play for us and he's Guardiola's assistant, this will get the supporters on side. It's not easy, though, to bring in someone that's never managed before. It's easy to bring in, you know, the manager of a, a club in Europe. I think Eddie Howe's just as big a gamble as bringing in Arteta. I don't think you'd see any marks improvement. I don't see you'd see them, you know, challenging again for titles ever. Um, that's kind of not the point. I though, think he's done a great job at Bournemouth, I, but there's no... I'm sorry. But it's whoa, very, whoa, whoa. very risky that he could do that, you know. Brighton have an identity. Sorry, uh, Bournemouth have an identity. Bournemouth have had that same identity since they came to the Premier League. Eddie Howe has a record, yeah, of coaching players and getting more out of them than they've got inside them. Yeah, he's got a he's got a record of taking a collection of players and getting them to overachieve. Mikel Arteta doesn't have any of those things. So for me, it's quite. What you said super harsh on Eddie Howe. Like he's a guy who deserves a big job. Now people can argue with me and go, "Well, you know, Bournemouth could get relegated this season." Fine. People have been saying that for years, right? Bournemouth always get turned over by the big teams. Fine. People have been saying that for years. He's playing with a collection of players. There's a lot of Championship players in there still, and they're still doing it in the Premier League. So I don't know. I'm just. I'm a bit. I think the Arteta thing, and maybe I've been on this thing for a while now and I begin to sound like I've got something against him and I genuinely don't, yeah. I just think that he's unproven and I'm surprised that a guy who's that improvement, it unproven, has got quite that much hype around him. Well, every manager's unproven at some point. That's, that's how it goes. Oh, no, totally, totally. But I guess that for me, I can see... Maybe you're right. Maybe Arsenal have fallen so low that they can take a risk. You see what I mean? It's yeah, just it, depends. Well, yeah, it, it, it kind of does depend on the fan base and what they're prepared to accept in the next two years. Uh, I think we can safely assume Ludenberg's not getting the permanent gig anyway. So, <laughs> uh, and no, well, I mean I've said before, Eddie Howe deserves a bigger job. But I just I'm just trying to get into the Arsenal mindset right now, and I, you know, for fan. Uh, Pretending I'm troops or whatever. <laughs> Maybe just happy moaning after a match. <laughs> so, just uh, get David Moyes in and then, yeah, it's, it's good business for them, isn't it? So, I don't know. Either one, it's a risk, yeah. You, you know, Emery came, Emery was highly rated and yeah. didn't do it, so. 
Okay. Okay. Um, talking of, you know, talking of Brexit, I mean, you know, got a good friend as a Watford fan, and apparently the players there want a, a British manager, uh, which is weird as a lot of them aren't British. So they're, they've been rallying the board to get a, a British replacement in at the club to think it'll be good for them. So Interesting. Yeah, it's a strange one, but there you go. Well, I mean, I, I guess that I'm a big fan of hipster coaches, but hipster coaches that have proven something, and uh, and so I think there's enough around Europe that they should uh, they should try and go and find one. Yeah, we've um, said with Arteta until he steps into the manager's role, that he he has no idea whether he'll sink or swim. Exactly, because you could take over one match when Pep's got a ban or something, uh, but you're not really in charge once you're the ones responsible for the players and reprimanding them and keeping the morale up. Yeah. Only he, deep down, could know if he's going to succeed at that. Yep, absolutely. So, home win, away win, or draw? West Ham Arsenal. I appreciate we've not really talked about the pressure that Pellegrini and, and West Ham are under, um, but time is ticking and I have to wrap this up, so you're just going to have to give me a prediction. Yeah, I mean, well, West Ham, I just assumed would be sacking their manager this week and then they go and get that result so it's mm. amazing but I would still say a draw for this one okay I think West Ham will nick it because I thought that uh, Arsenal were a bit too spineless last night I think that Pellegrini will be will be able to do a little bit of what Graham Potter did in terms of you know just playing through them at times and exposing their uh, their weak back backline and uh, um, we all you heard it here first <laughs> brilliant brilliant right Mr Hocking Derby weekend is upon us, mate. It's Friday. You can go relax, do whatever you need to do to uh, distract yourself from the derby. Um, thank you very much for joining me anyway this morning. Yeah, pleasure as always. To everybody who listened, please enjoy Derby weekend. We'll be back with a review of the derby after the derby. In the meantime, be safe, be well. And as always, up the blues.